Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Here we are, another beautiful January Sunday, I mean March Sunday, right? End of March, heading into Easter next week. Temperature will knock it over 50 probably this week, right? You loving this? You just like the malaise over the crowd. I can see your faces. You're a beaten down people, right? You've had enough. Well, the weather is teaching us resilience, to persevere, keep moving on, right? Right, If if I say so. Well, if you haven't been here the last five weeks, this is the sixth part, the final part of our series on Galatians. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you'll want to turn to chapter 5. We'll be starting in verse 16. We'll be in verses 16 through 25. As we have, Pastor Tom and I have been saying this entire series, not the easiest book in the world to preach from. All right, so we, we admit that, freely admit that, and, but it's been a fun adventure. Uh, it's been an interesting journey for us. I hope you've enjoyed it uh, as much as we have. Uh, it's amazing, you know, when you look at the text, the flower may fade, the flowers that are behind us, the grass may wither, but his word stands forever. And I think about it, and I think, I say, you know what, I, I, I'm just one in thousands and thousands of people that have sat in a pulpit or somewhere in a church, a house, the underground church movement somewhere along the lines of history, and have preached from his word, this word, this letter that Paul has written to the church of Galatians. And it's amazing how this word is still applicable for our lives. It's a timeless word, timeless truths, things that we can can get and apply to our lives. So I'm appreciative for that. Well, Let's read at the top here. Let's start in verse, again, verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 16. The Apostle Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is God's word for us this morning. And you know what I love too this morning? You know, the children, they'll be next door. They'll be baking gluten-free bread for us to use at the table. Finally, a sermon in whatever, for me, about 15 years preaching here. I have never preached a message on the fruit of the Spirit 
this is a healthy, I mean, this is something that's finally healthy. We talk about all these gluten-type foods. How many fruititarians do we have in here, right? People that love a nice, right, unadulterated, beautiful piece of fruit. No, you don't eat, come on, really? Healthy, right? There we go. A couple of hands are raised in the back there. Fruit. We're talking today about juicy fruit. Ooh, kind of clever, right? I said, Tom, you can borrow that this week, right? We were talking last night. We're going to be talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And let me just say at the outset here of this message, stay with me today. We're going to really go deep into the text as we have been the last, uh, in, through the whole series. But in this text, I think it's a, it's a fabulous passage on how to experience change in the Christian life. Would anybody in here, are you interested in that? Would that interest anybody in here? Experiencing transformation and change. Well, the Apostle Paul gives us, he lays out for us the nature of change, and he's using this very familiar phrase we all have heard. If you're new to the church or new to Christianity, this is a passage, this fruit of the Spirit is something that's very popular. I'm going to eradicate some fallacies, some misnomers by the time I'm done, but that's what's always fun for me as a preacher and looking at what is the real context, what is the author really saying, and how does it apply to our lives today. And it's interesting here too, um, the first thing I would like to say is that change is gradual. If you take notes, change is gradual. And the Apostle Paul, why does he use the word fruit? If you know anything about him, why didn't he use traits or characteristics? Really? He used fruit? Fruit. Of all things that you could choose, Paul, that's what you wanted to look at? You're a scholar. You're the Jew of Jews, teacher of teachers. I would have thought you would have used a more scholarly, intellectual word. Well, the reason why, listen, he's trying, he's using a metaphor, he's invoking a metaphor of botanical growth. Botanical growth. How many people in here, aside from Pastor Joe, how many people in here, you love to plant flowers, you love, you're looking forward to the snow melting away, right? And you can get your hands in that dirt, and you can start planting some flowers. I don't know a heck of a lot. What do you plant? I know the tulips will be coming up soon. Pastor Joe has only planted maybe 5,478 tulips at the Lecce home. Uh, I don't know if you have that many. But we love, and, and most of you do, you love actually getting outside and planting flowers. We love to look at flowers. Next Sunday, you come in in your Easter garb, and you're all decked out. And some of you ladies will have, you know, in your finery, your beautiful hats that you'll wear, and those flowers, right? Come on, that's spring. It's resurrection time. Well, Paul is giving us this illustration. He's not the only one. I mean, just a couple. First Peter, it says, you were born by the imperishable seed of the word of God. Psalm 1 talks about the fact that the godly are like trees that will grow up near water. He's emphasizing here botanical growth, just like, now it's gradual again, just like a potato, a turnip, uh, you pick any kind of piece of fruit, he's talking about how it's, the change is gradual, how things grow. Very interesting story I should tell you about fruit. Uh, I came across this in, in my studying during the week. How many of you are familiar with the name Stuart Briscoe? Did you ever hear Christian author? Great speaker. Uh, he writes in one of his books how one of his friends, when he was younger, grew up on a property where they had a, a, a fruit tree. And it was right next to his friend's second-story window. 
And it was easy access for him. Anytime he was going to get in trouble, he'd be able to climb out of the second story window, climb down the tree, and, you know, get away from his dad, namely. So he finds out one day, his dad says, look, I'm cutting this tree down. It's barren. It hasn't, you know, it hasn't bear any fruit in a long time, for years. So dad's like, look, I'm cutting this tree down. So his son's like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? This is a tree like, this is like, save me, I don't, countless times. So he and some of his friends, they come up with this like clandestine little plan. And they say, we're going to go, like tonight, we're going to get some apples. We're going to go buy some apples somewhere. We're going to come back home. We're going to tie all of the, these apples on the tree so when we wake up in the morning, dad's going to look at the tree and be like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So the kids go out, he sneaks out, they take, they tie all these apples on the tree. Dad wakes up the next morning, goes outside, Mary, Mary, some of you will get that reference, right? Calls his wife, tells her, Mary, you have to come outside, you wouldn't believe this. It's a miracle, the tree that hasn't given us any fruit for years, look, it has apples on it. The amazing thing is, it's a pear tree. It wasn't even an apple tree. The kid had no idea. Thought it was a cute little story. But listen, we're called as Christians. Why am I telling you that story? Not to keep you awake, but to, well, partly, but to tell you that we are meant to be a people. You understand, Jesus talked about the vine and the branches. And you know what? He is the vine and we are the branches. And we are supposed to get life. A dead tree does not give out life. We are to be a people that have the fruit of the Spirit living inside of us. It's His life. His life residing on the inside of us. And Paul is saying here, he's giving us an example of botanical growth. And it's not just, just forget even about plants, flowers, and such. Think about life in general. Right? What do we say to little kids? You haven't seen somebody in a while? Oh my gosh, I can't believe how much you've grown since the last time I saw you, right? You know what I'm talking about? You know, I can tell, I love it with Jameson. I can tell when you're the parents, right? You can't tell. It's imperceptible. Change, growth is imperceptible. I can tell when he's rocking his high waters. And he's like, yeah, dad. I'm like, oh, Megan, he's growing, right? He's growing. Otherwise, how can you really tell unless you measure growth? And I know some of you in your homes, right, what have you done with your kids? You have a closet door and the inside of the door, you take your kids and you measure how much they're growing because otherwise you really wouldn't know. Change is gradual. And guess what? In our FedExing, microwaving, fast food eating culture, we are not patient people. We want results now. Instant gratification. Does anybody in here like to wait? You enjoy waiting on lines. You do. You don't. That's, see, that's, that's what I figured as much. Um, I, I, and listen, to, from the time kids are young, like a baby, and I think about it all the time, with, you think about it with your kids, or even if your kids are older, they have to grow into maturity. I can sit there, or, or Megan can sit there, and I can, we could read Shakespeare to the kids, Right? If they're two years old, three years old, five years old, they're not going to learn Shakespeare. She should have died hereafter. There would have been a time for... I know some Shakespeare. You didn't think I knew some. I still remember high school English, 11th grade. We had to memorize stuff from like Macbeth, right? I got up and I actually acted it out. I can still act it out for you. I'm not going to act it out for you. I know you want me to act it out for you. You can't handle the truth right now. You can't handle me doing it. But listen, step back, step back. Okay talking to myself right now. 
But no, really, you have to grow into maturity. One of my favorite movies hit me at 2.30 when I got up this morning. Couldn't sleep. Thanks, baby Nolan. Wonderful job waking dad up. At 2.30 in the morning, I said, oh my gosh, it's like the movie Big. How many of you remember the movie Big? Tom Hanks. Love that movie. He goes to the, uh, he goes to the I don't know, whatever. It's like a carnival or a, don't come up to me after. Stop. Don't t- whatever it is. He goes to something and there's this Zoltar machine. It's like this, like this uh, it gives out wishes. The wish machine, right? And he wa- what's his wish? He wants to be big. He, he, gets, he gets that little ticket and it says, your wish is granted. Wakes up the next day in his bed, right? This 12-year-old boy and he's 30 years old. It's Tom Hanks. And it's amazing, and he goes through life, and he's like, what's going on? He doesn't understand. He's not mature. We have to grow. And let me tell you, this is one of the problems in the church. We want to get from zero to 100 in no time. We don't want to grow. We say, God, no, we want to do it our way. I want to be mature right now. And you know what? Let's let's put all the cards on the table. I'm all in with this. We're looking for the book. We're looking for the sermon. We're looking for the conference. We're looking for the magic bullet. What is the magic bullet that I can get that will bring me spiritual maturity in my life? Where is it? Hey, I've been there too. Don't I, Listen, I get it. But that is one of the things that we have done. Listen, and go back to fruit now. You ready? Let's go back to fruit. In studying this during the week, I was fascinated by some of the examples. In America, did you know that tomatoes are usually picked unripened so that they won't bruise during shipping? Do you know that? And then what do they do? You've got to love America, right? Then they take these tomatoes, these green tomatoes, and they spray them with CO2 gas. Oh, they look lovely, right? And then they're red, and they sell them to the American public. I'm here to tell you that is not the same as the flavor that you'll get on a vine-ripened tomato that is allowed to mature slowly. You with me on that? Follow me. I'm giving you illustrations. Stay with me. Or this. I was reading another book. by The author's name is Margaret Feinberg, a prolific Christian author. Many of you probably haven't heard the name. You will at some point in the future. She's talking about vineyards, and she said... The first year a vintner plants shoots of vines rather than seeds because these yield the strongest vines. Now get this, this is fascinating. At the end of the first growing season, he cuts them back. A second year passes, he cuts them back again. Only after the third year does he see his first viable clusters of grapes. Did you hear that? Three years. Serious vinters leave those clusters on the vines. For most vinters, it's not until year four that they bring in their first harvest. Year four. For those growing grapes for winemaking, they bottle their harvest but won't taste the fruit of their labors until year seven or eight. Most vineyards in Napa Valley won't reach a break-even point for their investment until year 15, 18, or beyond. Never knew that. So when you're at a store or you're, looking, you're at somebody's house, you religious people are like, what? James talking about wine? Yeah, I'm talking about wine, right? Okay, relax. We are always in a hurry. God has a different plan than we have. It's maturity. It takes time. Growth is gradual. And, that, you know, we allude to this. Pastor Linda and I always bring this up, but I have to again. It's something that we can, I don't think we can ever mention it too much. John Ortberg, one of our favorite authors, you know where I'm going with this, he talked to his mentor. If you haven't read anything from Dallas Willard, please do. I talk about him all the time. He passed maybe two years ago. He was the head of philosophy at UC Berkeley, a Christian theologian. I mean, 
the dude is, is mad smart. He's just brilliant beyond brilliant, right? He forgot more than I'll ever know in my lifetime. And uh, John Orberg called him up and said, uh, Dallas, what is, the, what is the one key to spiritual maturity? Can you just give me, what's, what's the one thing? And he said to him, ruthlessly, some, if you've been here for a number of years, you know this, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And I love it. John's like, okay, got that one. That's a good one. I have a lot to do. What's next? Right? <laughs> give me it. What's next? What else do I have to work on? That's us. How impatient we are. We're always in a hurry. Not just, I mean, listen, every part of our lives, we're always looking, God, can you go faster? You're going too slow? Please, pick up the pace. We want that magic bullet. We want you to go faster. And I was even thinking about in church with even like testimonies. Since I was a kid, I've heard so many people give testimonies. And here's the only danger I I would point out to you. I think sometimes the danger is you can hear somebody that had a radical experience. They had a transformation that was maybe instantaneous. They were delivered from something. Does God do that instantaneously? Yes, of course he does. Don't try to put God in a box. God does what he wants. We think we haven't figured out, and then we don't. So when we hear testimony sometimes, we can think, wow, I guess that's how it's going to work out for me. That is not the norm. Listen to me. That is not the norm in my Christian experience. And I know I'm speaking on behalf of the other pastors here. That's not their experience either. Many times change is a slow process. Again, we don't like that. Can I quote a theologian by the name of Bono? All right? This is what Bono said. Oh, I had a picture of a vineyard only because it was snowing out. And I was thinking about it. I said, this is coming one day. One day, soon, you'll see this, but not now. All right, Bono. I have heard of people who have life-changing, miraculous turnarounds, people set free from addiction after a single prayer, relationships saved, where both parties let go and let God. But it was not like that for me. For all that I was lost, I am found. It is probably more accurate to say I was really lost. I'm a little less so at the moment. I love, I just love his honesty. If you don't like him, I don't know what to say. I'm not happy with you. And then a little less and a little less again. That to me is the spiritual life. The slow reworking and rebooting the computer at regular intervals, reading the small print of the service manual, it has slowly rebuilt me in a better image. It has taken years though, and it is not over yet. Isn't that really good? Wow. You didn't think you were going to come to church and hear something from Bono, right? You want me to rock a song out now? No, no. Come on. With or without you. No, I love, hey, listen, if you don't like you too, this isn't the church for you either. Um, so, so, I mean, we have to say here that growth in general is pretty mysterious, right? Or think about how you changed. Think about over the course of the past year, a couple of years, right? where you have an issue with, like, patience. Do you ever think about, like, maybe a year later, something happens, and maybe it's somebody... And by the way, you're going to ask the people that are closest to you how, by the end of this sermon or at the end of this sermon or how you've really grown in these areas. That's real, I mean, that's the best way because a lot of times we have blind spots and we don't really see things. Ask others. 
Well, it's interesting how maybe a year later you handle a situation and you're like, oh my gosh, a year ago, I never would have handled it that way. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Whatever it is, and you're like, man, I can't believe what has happened. You weren't cognizant of the change, but you were being changed from the inside out. Something was happening inside of you. You weren't aware of it. It was imperceptible. Maybe other people are seeing it, but when you see it and you have that aha moment, it's pretty amazing because you realize there's another life inside of you and that the Holy Spirit is working in you. Um, As it pertains to this, C.S. Lewis had a great illustration on this. Uh, He talks about how he was in a graveyard um, in Italy one day. And uh, in the graveyard, he saw there was a huge marble slab over uh, some man's grave. And I'll I'll put the the pictures up there for you. So it was not the actual place, but just the images that I'm talking about. And there was a huge marble slab over this uh, guy's grave. Somebody, he didn't even know who it was. And somehow, an acorn got underneath that slab and got into the ground. And what was fascinating was... He says that it maybe happened a couple hundred years ago, but out of that acorn came a shoot, and out of that shoot came a tree, and out of that tree came this huge branches everywhere, and what would you say if I said to you, right, let's talk about it, if I said, all right, we're going to have a match right now, in one corner we have the acorn, right, and then I said, in the other corner we have a slab of concrete, who's going to win? You would be crazy if you said the acorn was going to win. But in fact, over time, gradual process, Lewis is right that the acorn actually splits the marble slab. Again, time takes years and years and years and years. Where is my clicker? There it is. So think about this too. If acorns always win in these kind of situations... If botanical growth has that kind of power in its gradualness, what kind of power does the Holy Spirit have? Think about that. Let me say it again. If an acorn has that kind of power, natural growth, what kind of power does the Holy Spirit have in terms of your patience and your attitude and your inability to love? And you say, I'm not really patient here. I'm not faithful here. My bitterness, my insecurity, my fears, and my self-doubts. What kind of power does God have? Do you realize the power that he has to change your life? Come on, friends. You think about what happened 2,000 years ago. It's Palm Sunday. This is the beginning of the Holy Week. God sent into plan, he sent in a plan, his D-Day plan, where he sends in his son. And don't be mistaken, there was a battle that took place for the seed to come into the world and for the seed to grow up and mature and for that seed to grow up and to mature into being a grown man and to bring the kingdom of God from heaven down here to earth. It was not an easy, easy act, but he did it and his power that he had then is still real and his power is here for you today he has not lost any of it he's not lost any of it so number one would say to you from this text the fruit of the spirit it is a gradual growth it is slow transcendentalist ralph waldo emerson put it so well when he said not a christian okay not a christian the creation of a thousand forests is in one acorn love that you didn't like it as much as i did that's okay that's okay all right how about number two Let's get into the text now. Ready? 522. Look at this. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit. So number one is change is gradual. 
All right? Number two, change is symmetrical. Symmetrical. So on the one hand, you, you, you heard me say that change is gradual. God is patient with us. But I will, can I say this? Oh, gosh, Tom and I were on the phone late last night. We're like, do we talk about this? Do we do this? I'm like, dude, it's in the text. Like, what, what are we going to do? This is what Paul is really saying. If you are the same person you were 20 years ago, listen, and there is no growth in your life, there's no growth. If you ask other people, we need to run to God. There is, we should be growing in some sense in our relationship with God. We should be. Paul is basically saying that. I want you to see how is change symmetrical. Are you ready for this? Notice how it says, but the fruit of the Spirit. In the English language, can fruit be singular and plural? Yes, I had a piece of fruit. How is the fruit that you had? Could be plural, right? Paul, in this context, he is not talking. I've heard people say, I don't understand it. They'll say the fruits of the Spirit. You will never say that in here because that is not what he is saying. He is saying fruit singular. And when you look at the sentence, you say, is his grammar off, this really smart guy? Shouldn't it be plural? No, 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 no. Paul knows exactly what he's writing, and that's why I underlined it, because fruit, in essence, here means, like a, let's use this, like a diamond, right? You ever look at a diamond, and you're like, so beautiful, right? And you turn the diamond, you look at somebody's ring, a diamond ring, you can look at the same ring, but it has so many different facets to it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You can look at it in one sense, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful this way. And then you turn it, and you see something else. You're still looking at the same exact thing, but you see it differently. Do you ever see those pictures? I do it in my sociology class. I love, you know, playing mind games with my kids, and I'll put the picture up. I didn't do it today of the old lady and the young lady. None of you have seen those, and it looks like illusions. And you're like, what do you see? Oh, I see the old lady. I see the young. It's the same exact picture, but we see it differently. Same exact picture. Some people see the old lady. Some people see the young lady. Well, this is what he's trying to say here. He's trying to say they're interdependent. They're interdependent. So you can't really have... One of them, because I know, you know what the big thing is? I'm going to get to it in a second. I'm going to list for you what these terms really mean, all right? I'm going to list for you what they mean, and you're going to sit here, and you're going to go, well, I'm pretty good at love, but uh, I could use some help and patience, right? Faithfulness, I need a little work, too. Man, I got self-control down, but I don't have this one. And you're comparing all of them. The Apostle Paul, this is the proper teaching. This is the real teaching from the text. And listen, I've read a lot of stuff out there. and I, I don't know what pe- some people are reading, but when you really read the commentaries and you read people that know what they're talking about and people like Tim Keller, who's another guy that's beyond brilliant, what Paul is saying here is you are looking at something that if you want change in your life, it's interdependent. You can't say over here, well, in love, I'm just like, I don't really have it together. But in another area, well, listen, self-control, I'm, look, I got it together here, right? That's not what he's saying. He's saying to have all of them, to have one of them, I'm sorry, is to have all of them. Now, this is another thing that is fascinating when it comes to this. Because when you look at some of the qualities or things that he's talking about here, when you look at the list, you think that you're naturally stronger. You should realize this. You may not have looked at it this way. But when I get to them, you may look at some of them and say, these are strengths, but it's part of your temperament. Can I give you an example of that? Some of you are temperamentally gentle people. It's your temperament. It's your Myers-Briggs-ness, right? You know Myers-Briggs? You ever take a Myers-Briggs test, a DISC assessment, something like that? That's who you are 
naturally. You following me? All right, this is deep. Stay with me. Some of you are going to fall asleep. This is the best part of the sermon. I don't know what to tell you. This is where the rubber meets the road. For what he's talking about, this is the real deal. Because he's saying here, even if you, like some people, even if you weren't a Christian, people would still love you, right? You, oh, they're such a teddy bear. Everybody loves them. You are naturally gentle. Naturally. But you can be somebody that is naturally gentle, but then when you look at something else, that you're not bold or courageous when it comes to faithfulness. You're not bold or courageous. I'm not saying you're a coward, but you're not really bold in that area. So on one side, you can be naturally gentle, but on the other side of the equation, you are really lacking when it comes to faithfulness. They are interdependent. They are connected. You can't have one without having the other one. You following me? Right? How about another example? How about joy and peace? You meet some people that are just the happiest people in the world. Woo! They just get up in the morning, right? And they are just so happy, and they're so full of life, and they're so good at meeting new people, right? But how come they can't keep friends? You ever notice that? Faithfulness. They have a hard time keeping friends. So in one sense, it looks like there's real joy, but is that joy supernatural joy? No. It is natural joy, and what they're lacking on the other side is in faithfulness. You following me? This is what Paul's message is. I could have sat here today and entertained you and gone through the, listen, It would have been easy. To give you illustration after illustration, that's not what the text is saying. The text is telling us this morning that to have these things, they're interdependent. You have to realize that, and you have to see that in your life. Now, I say that because it's challenging. Are you challenged by that? You should be. Can we go through them quickly? Want to go through them quickly? Some of you don't, but that's okay. We're going to go through them. These are the definitions. Now, I took some of the information from Tim Keller's book on Galatians. Some of them I changed. Some of them I kept the same. So I'm just telling you, if you would like to read these in full, or I can put my PowerPoint online, and you can look at them if you you would like later, because you're not going to get all of this. But how about love? To serve a person for their good and intrinsic value, not for what the person brings you. Its opposite is fear. The counterfeit is when you are attracted to someone and treat them well because of how they make you feel about yourself. Ooh, deep. Again, very deep. We're in the deep end, this whole series. Joy. Delight in God for the sheer beauty and worth of who he is. Its opposite is despair. And its counterfeit is elation that is based on experiencing blessings, not the blesser. What can I get from God? I don't want, God, you are a means to an end. How can I get what I want from you? Next one, uh, peace. Resting in the wisdom and control of God replaces worry and anxiety. The fake version is indifference and not caring about something. Moving onward, patience. The ability to face trouble without blowing up or hitting out. Its opposite is resentment towards God and others, and its counterfeits are cynicism or a lack of care. Sometimes we see people, you know what? I always get like, I I don't know, I'll use myself, why not? Sometimes you look at your personality. Do you ever think of even like, again, going sociologically, your birth order? What family you grew up in? Why do you think Jen and I are so resilient and love Navy SEAL stuff, right? Because we grew up in a family with John. And we were abused as children. And the, my parents didn't do enough to stop him, right? And you wonder why that day, right? When I, right? You know what I'm, pencil and other, right? You know, you know. Other things came at you. You are a product to some extent of the environment that you grew up in. 
to some extent, or even your birth order. I love doing it at school. Hey, tell the kids, and they're like, what? I'm like, yes, there are certain characteristics. They see that those are characteristics of the youngest or the middle child or the oldest. It's pretty wild. Think about it. To some extent, you had no control over that. You didn't say, mom, dad, I'd like to be, you know, the oldest, or I'd like to be the, you had no control over that. But it has some effect on who you are. Where am I again? Which one? Kindness? Yeah. Serving others practically in a way that makes me vulnerable. Its opposite is envy and prevents me from rejoicing in another's joy. The counterfeit is to manipulate good deeds. I do good for others, so I can feel I am good enough for God. Uh, Is that Galatians? Have you heard that? Has, this book is imbued with that message when you look at the Judaizers. This is, this is tough stuff to look at in the mirror when you see this in yourself. At least for me, it is goodness. Being the same person in every situation. This is not the same as being truthful, but not always loving. Getting things off your chest to make yourself feel or look better. I just had to get it off my chest. I just had to let you know. And you say it in the wrong way, and you just somebody is a wreck. There's a way, obviously, to say things in the right way. And Pastor Linda can teach you about that. Faithfulness. To be true to your word, its opposite is to be an opportunist, a friend only in good times. Its counterfeit is to be loving but not truthful, so that we are not willing to confront or challenge. Oh my gosh. And you see people sometimes, right, that are so loving, right, let's, come on, that are so loving and I just love everybody and I just extend grace to everybody. It's cowardice. You have to be able to present truth to people. You have to be able to confront people. These are every single area something we should be growing in. This is a list we should really be studying. You should be studying this on your own. This is one sermon. I, this is really something, to be brutally honest with you, I told Tom, like, Tom, this is, a seri- this is a series in and of itself, the fruit of the Spirit. So understand that. Okay, gentleness. To display humility and self-forgetfulness, forgetting that it's about you. The opposite is to be self-absorbed. That's a hard thing in our culture. It's not the same as inferiority. Oh, very good. And then self-control. The ability to pursue the important over the urgent. Oh, God, Oswald Chambers, what does he say? The good is the enemy of the great. Did you hear it? The good is always the enemy of the great. The slightly surprising, surprising counterfeit is a willpower which is based on pride or the need to feel in control. Hopefully some of you are still with me. Okay, now, you see that, right? You saw that list. So how do we, come on, I can't leave you this morning, I can't leave you this morning without talking about how do we cultivate spiritual fruit in our lives. You ready for this? It's the last part of the sermon, I promise. So how do we, as Christians, how do we cultivate spiritual fruit in our lives? Isn't that what you want to know? Okay, so you told me about it. Change is gradual. Change is symmetrical. And don't be, listen, do not feel contemned as you walk out of it and you say, look, I don't, look at these areas that I have to work on. It's a process. Trust the life that lives inside of you. You open yourself up. Pastor Linda always talks. There are certain, you build up, you build blocks or a foundation. You set up, you do certain things, activities. You want to call them disciplines, spiritual disciplines. There are things that we do. We open ourselves up for God to fill us, for God to change us. He will change us. And it's not by our willpower. It's not by our behavior. Oh, I want to change my behavior. It's no, there's another life that's living on the inside of you that wants to change you. And when you go here, let's look at verse 24. So the last part of the message, how do we cultivate spiritual fruit? And I want you to see this. First thing, what does it say in 524? And those who are Christ. Stop, put the brakes on. Those who are Christ. What is he saying? You belong to him. 
first and foremost, you need to understand, you are his. Everything that he has is yours. Everything that he has, not some things, everything that he has is yours. And then he goes on, he talks about crucifying, we're going to get to it now, crucifying the flesh with its passions. Your text may say, your version may say sinful nature with its passions and desires. Paul, what are you really talking about here? Well, I would say to you, crucifying the flesh, if you take notes, you know what he's really talking about here? He's he's talking about taking on sin, strangling sin at the motivational level instead of the behavioral level. The motivational level. What is the reason why this is happening? Not just trying with your willpower to stop the behavior. You following me? Not just saying, I can stop doing this. What are the reasons why? Why am I drawn to this? Why is this happening in my life? And he talks about it as an over-desire. An over-desire. And you go now, when you look, I'm going backwards. So when you go backwards in 519 through 21, it says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, blah, 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 and he goes on there. Now, I want you to notice something here, because it's kind of interesting. When we talk about crucifying the flesh, let me tell you what it doesn't mean, because I think for some of us, we think it's like, be hard on your body, right? How many of you see that, and you're like, he's talking about being hard on your body, or like, we're in the Lenten, the, the Lenten season is ending now, right? Coming to the end, and you think about it. In the Lenten season, what do we do? We give up a pleasure. We give up comfort. We give up something that we have, rest, whatever it is, something that we want. We rest from it, something that gives us comfort, something that gives us pleasure. But the problem is, when you look at the list of things that he's talking about, the acts of the sinful nature, look at some of the things that are in here. Jealousy. Hatred, discord, those are things that you don't do with your body. Those are the things that don't really get addressed. We look at sin and we look at all these other big sins. Paul's saying, no, I'm looking at the stuff that's inside your heart. The stuff that's inside your heart, that's the stuff that needs to be crucified. And it's a lot more than saying no to sin. Because the Galatians were on the verge to saying no to a lot of things. Can't do that. There's certain laws I can't do. All these laws that we can't do. And Paul's warning them, saying, if you act that way and you follow the Old Testament, you're saying the Old Testament law, Christ and the Old Testament law, that that's life, that's how I'm going to find life, you're going to be alienated from God. You are not going to find God that way. That's what he's saying here in the text. And then when you go backwards again, 16 through 18, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And the best part of this is when he's talking about here that we're not under the law. And what is Paul, in essence, really saying here? To be under the law means we earn our salvation. I have to end where we started the series. Because we have been hammering away at this point, but this, I'm leaving you on this note. He is talking here, being under the law means, how can I be my own savior? 
How can I find my own works righteousness? What are the things that I can do to make myself right with God? How can I earn my salvation? What can I do to improve my record, my validating record, my resume? That's what he's saying right here. He's saying it's our desire to prove ourselves, to earn our salvation, and to build meaning, not on what God has done, but what we have accomplished. Did you get that? It's all about what we have done, not what he has done. And Paul is saying, please, Galatians, please, City on a Hill Community Church, you can't earn your salvation. Nothing you can do can make you, put you in a right position with God. And then again there, if you go back to 24, I'm referring to it numerous times here. The word passions there, you know what it is? It is not, we think it's like, oh my God, passions, what do you think of? Automatically, you know what your mind probably goes to. Passions in this, the Greek word actually means over desire. An over-desire, an inordinate desire, a disproportionate desire, something that is totally out of control. And you know what we're going to call this to end the series? You know what this is that is working inside of all of us? It is our flesh operating system. Our flesh operating system. You see, you have things and I have things inside of me that I'm looking to to be my savior. There are things that you're looking to to be your savior. Whether it's your career, you know what the flesh operating system does? How about, let's take one. I don't know, I, I wrote down some examples. How about human approval? Human approval. Is that really a bad thing? Is it, is it bad for people to actually like you and respect you and whatever your, your job, whatever your vocation is, or just in general, how you live your life? Is that a bad thing? No. But you know what the flesh operating system does? It takes that and it pulls it to the center of our heart. And it says, unless you have this, you have nothing. Your career whether it's money. Our kids, we talked about this during the series, our kids, good things, good things. And we look at our kids and we say, we look at our children and unless they're happy and doing well and loving us and everything's great in life, life has no meaning. We say life has no meaning. The problem is if something goes wrong with our kids, we're going to be crushed. And we crush them, Converse, we crush them sometimes with the pressure that we put on them. Flesh operating system. It could be good things, good things. God intended for us to be good, but they're not meant to be the center of our hearts and take over and that we live out and say, if I have this, then I'll be happy. If I have that without this, Christ is supposed to be the center. Paul is saying it time and time again. The flesh operating system has taken Jesus out of the equation and something that obviously is supposed to be giving us life and life to the full and we're putting things that are good and we're turning them into ultimate things. Where is this in my life as I, as I really come to a close? I was thinking about it. I was preparing a sermon. I don't know, this is some time ago on a Saturday and the sermon was just, it was not, the sermon prep was just not going well. I know you find that hard to believe that I was actually preparing a sermon and I thought in my mind that it wasn't going to go well. And uh, Megan had asked me, she said, honey, you know, I had to do something for, for Jameson. I had to go to the store and get something. I don't even remember exactly what it was at the, at the time. Uh, now, I don't remember now. But she's like, can you get this for me? And if, in my head, you know what I'm thinking? I'm going, really? Man of God. <laughs> Preparing a sermon. Trying to feed the sheep here at City on a Hill. Here I am, the man of God, and she's asking me to go to the store. Doesn't she see? I've worked all week. And I know she's worked too, but... 
Really? And some of you are looking, I I see some of your faces, and you're like, well, that's pretty admirable. You want to feed us, and you wanted to make sure it was a really good sermon? That's hogwash, garbage, because there's something inside of me, my flesh operating system, that goes off sometimes, and I'll hear the siren. It's, man, you better make this sermon really good. You know how many sermons I've preached? And some sermons I think are really good, and some I don't think are so good. But I preach, and you know what? At times, the flesh operating system, when I walk out, it wants to tell me, man, you're nothing. That sermon wasn't so good. People don't like you. You think people want to listen to you? They're not going to respect you. You got Every sermon has to be amazing. You know that's not possible. That's not reality. But that's what the flesh operating system does. It's doing to me. You, look at yourself. Look at your own heart. What is the flesh operating system for you? That's, I mean, I'm giving you something that's intimate and something that I'm trying to be transparent in my own life. That's what I get hit with on, on a lot. It happens all the time. It's an inordinate desire. Is there anything wrong with wanting you to like my preaching? No. Tom, Pastor Lynn, any of us? No, of course not. But if it becomes the sole thing, if I leave church, if I leave here, and I walk out, and I'm like, I'm just despondent. And Megan's like, honey, you're going to be all right? I'm like, I don't know. This is a terrible sermon. And I go home, and I close the door. I mean, listen, there is a spiritual battle. Don't get me wrong. At times, some, you walk out of some meetings, and you carry stuff. I don't even know what it is. And I'm like, what am I carrying right now? But for the most part, I have to realize and understand it's not about me. And the flesh operating system wants to take over and wants to make it all about that and care. What do you think? Was that good? Was it bad? And I have to say no. What is it for you? What is it for you in your life? And then finally, music team, you can come up. Rach, you can start playing. I think about, I think about the fact that the flesh operating system is trying to take us away from what I said earlier about how we really belong, whose we are, that we belong to him. You know how we, you know how we can know we belong on this Palm Sunday? I was thinking, about to the, the, thinking back to the beginning of the Bible when you look at Genesis 1. And you look at there, the world is filled with fruit trees, right? You look at the Garden of Eden, and there are fruit trees that are everywhere. And God says to man in the garden, you can eat from any of the trees, but the one tree you can't eat from, the knowledge of good and evil. And what does man do? All the succulent fruit that is there, everything that is there, you can eat from any of them, but you just can't eat from this one tree. And what does man do? Man eats from that one tree. Why? Because man wanted to become his own savior flesh operating system. I want to be my own savior. But the beauty of the gospel is, friends, on this Palm Sunday 2015, is that someday we're going to have a fruitful world again. You see, there's fruit in the beginning, and then when you look at the end of the Bible, there is fruit again. And you know what? There is going to be a world, the Bible tells us, where there is no disease, there is no suffering, and there is no death. And you come next week, listen, next week I have a I have a doozy, I think. I've, I've planned this for a while. I, I, you know, Tom's like, I go for base hits on Easter. I'm like, I go for home runs. I go for grand slams. You're going to learn about God's grammar next week. I don't, you don't have to clap, but I'm not saying you have to clap. But. God guarantees us that when you consider all of our failures, we can look to one, we can look to Christ. We can look to the cross because on the cross he got the thorns so that we, we could have the fruit. Can I close with this? How many of you are familiar with a lot of these nursery rhymes? Like with your kids, right? You read some of these nursery rhymes, well, fairy tales. Well, I came across uh, Rapunzel. How many of you are familiar with the story of Rapunzel? You may have seen the movie Tangled. Loved it, cute movie. 
well, do you ever know that in some of these fairy tales, as we were out last night, and I said it to, I think I said it to Megan in passing, you know some of these fairy tales, how gory they are? Do you know that's how gory? Well, the story of Rapunzel, what they don't show you in the Disney movie, obviously Disney, right? They like, they, they obviously gloss over certain things and change things because they're evil. Um, <laughs> Rapunzel is about this beautiful woman, right? Not as beautiful as you, baby. It's about this, I had to make up for what I just said about Disney because otherwise I'll be in trouble tonight, right? If you didn't know what I was getting at. Rapunzel is this beautiful woman, an evil sorceress comes and what does she do? She takes her and imprisons her in this tower and she's there and she won't let her leave. And of course, the young, dashing prince comes to save her. Finds out where she is, that she's in this tower and she comes up, and he comes up, the prince comes up to the tower and sees her and they scheme on how she's gonna get away. What happens? The evil sorceress finds out about this. And the sorceress waits and says, all right, I'm going to take you. I'm going to take you, Rapunzel. I'm going to put you in a faraway land. And then she sets it up. She waits for the prince. She waits for the prince. I have a point to this. Like, why is James telling me a nursery rhyme? Waits for the prince to come up. And she attacks him. And what does she do? Throws him down. And she set it up that there were all these thorns that were there on the bottom. And when he hits the thorns, what do they do eventually? They gouge his eyes out. And for years, the young prince is poor, and he is destitute, and he's a beggar. And as the story goes, miraculously, one day, Rapunzel finds the young prince who is blind, who is poor, and has nothing, and she embraces him, and she cries, and her tears fall into his eyes, and his sight is restored. I'm here to tell you this morning, Palm Sunday, that he went to the cross. He took the thorns. And on that cross, he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He forsook what was going on in his life because he said, you know what? He saw us, the fruit. He saw what we could have. He saw who we were. He prized us that much and said, I will lay down my life for you. And he took the goal, something that was so bitter, because he looked at us and said, you are so sweet. I have to have you. That is the gospel. Can you believe that a man really did this? That the Son of God, give me another religion, friends. Give me another religion where God said, I will come and live among them. And I will pay the price for their sins. Every other religion is about what you do. Meritorious. The book of Galatians is telling us it's not about what you do. It's about who you are and whose you are. And you are his. And he is yours. His love flows down from the cross this morning. Flows down. The tears that he shed on that cross, the blood that was shed, as it mingles together, it gives us life. It gives us life. May we never lose sight and forget what he did on that cross. Because it's so easy to. James, I heard this so many times. Well, you're going to hear it again. And you're going to hear it again. And you're going to hear it again for eternity. And this story is never going to get old. And one day when you pass on to the other side, you're going to hear it again. And you're going to hear it again. And you're going to see it again. And you're going to see it again. And Lord, I ask that we would just be continually moved by the story. Lord, we've heard the story so many times. 
Make it new to us this holy week as you ride into Jerusalem and they're shouting, Hoshana, Hoshana, save us, a revolutionary cry. Lord, you came and brought a revolution, but not the kind of revolution that the people thought you were going to bring. Father, I ask for a real renovation of hearts in this place. Lord, I ask that we would see our own pseudo-salvation, our own self-salvation. Lord, I ask that we would look at all the ephemeral things in this world that we are looking to and we're grabbing onto and we're saying, you can give me meaning, you can give me meaning. Father, help us with the idolatry that is within our hearts. Oh, Father, clean it out. Our hearts are idol factories, as John Calvin said. Have your way in our hearts. Friends, I wasn't going to say this, but I have to tell you. Do you know how many people, too, if you're at a place and you say, man, I don't know, well, fruit of the Spirit again, I don't know where I'm at. You feel like God's looking down on you and he's condemning you or he's mad at you. He will never, you, he will never love you more than he loves you right now. And there are people, listen to me, there are people, it's not about our good deeds, there are people like Martin Luther, and I read so many stories this past week, Amy Carmichael, Martin Luther, John Wesley, George Whitfield, so many people that were already clergy, and they came to know who God was, they were Christians. I was one of them, I was one of them, raised and steeped in the Christian church, and then it became real to me of who he was. There's nothing else that will satisfy like him. The world tries. C.S. Lewis... We're like little kids on the beach with the mud pies and we keep playing with them when any, a holiday at sea is offered to us. We accept these things. Oh, there's so much more for us. I hate to say it, but one day we're going to go across and say, this is, what did I live for? What did I do? You talk about finances. What did I do with my time and my money? Look at all these people I could have helped. Look what I could have done, but I was so self-absorbed in my world. And I thought it was just about coming to church. I wanted to be a nominal Christian. I gave you my time. I sat in a chair. And he says, no, I wanted your life. The world out there says that's crazy. Everyone out there tells us we're crazy. No, they're crazy. I'm crazy in some, I'm crazy. Listen, I'm nuts. I know I'm nuts. I know I'm eccentric. But let me tell you, the world doesn't understand it. It's our job to bring this message to them with how we live our lives and what we say that this Jesus is real. Real. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't some game. He's real. And he moves. And he's still moving. You know what I do in my mind? I'm sorry, I'm going on long. You know what I think about? I think about all the times that he moved in my life. And I think about some of you and how he's moved in your life. We, need, we can't forget those moments. We can't forget those moments. You think David ever forgot the moment that he slayed Goliath? You think he, he didn't go back to that spot and say and show his kids? Hey, this is where it happened. Right here is where I took that slingshot and I took that giant down. Esther says, this is right where I told the king, if I perish, I perish. Lazarus said, that's the tomb that they buried me in. That's the tomb, kids. That's the tomb. I'm alive today. God still performs miracles. His power is still here, ever present. Get the other message. This is the message.
about you, but I want more of his power. I want more of his presence. I want more. Whatever, what I have right now is not enough. It's not enough. I want to have that Navy SEAL mentality. Suzanne and I were going back and forth. I'm at the gym, and she's sending me like pictures, and we're going back and forth. I set one as my background on my phone, and I'm listening to the music. And I'm saying, I don't care how tired I am. I don't care what's going on. It's worth it. How many times I sat up, how many times I sat in church or I sat at home and I said, Lord, why did you do, why did you pick me? You know what an honor it is to bring his word to you? I repent of the times that I said that. As a preacher in this house, it's an honor to bring the word of God to you. Yes. Amen. I get to sit and I get to study and I get to love him. Listen, it's hard as me, it's hard as you know what, but get so much out of it from my own life and I'm only seeing that as I get older Pastor Linda tried to tell me listen tried to tell me this, but I had to experience it on my own what am I saying I don't even know anymore <laughs> just just I'm just Amen. overtaking Holy Spirit Holy Spirit Pray for a fresh move of your spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Why can't we have more revivals, Lord? Why can't people come to really know who you are? Lord, so many times I get discouraged and I see people out there, I'm like, man, people don't want any part of you. Lord, I don't want to just believe in you. I don't want to just believe tenets about Christianity. I want to know you. I want other people to experience. Lord, I ask that none shall perish. Lord, I ask that we would be a church that get outside these four walls and we really bring the gospel to people. Lord, I even pray for next week. We never do this. I'm praying for next week. I'm praying for that Easter service, Lord, when people come in, that they would be challenged. Lord, that people, maybe they're, they're so comfortable in how they're living and they think they know what they're going to walk into. Father, just surprise them. Blow them away. We don't want religion. We want reality. We want that relationship. I'm sorry. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.